0: We start week two of first, and what we're talking about is is Jesus first over everything. We talk a lot about how Jesus is our Savior. We also talk about how Jesus is Lord of our life, and what that means then is that He's first over everything. He wants Him to be Lord and Savior over every aspect of our life, our relationships, our work, our home, um, our giftings. Uh, even in regards to our finances. And so we've been talking about what that actually looks like, and if you're new with us this morning, you're going, I came on this Sunday, I came on this Sunday talking about money, yes you did, yes you did. And uh, I just want to tell you, it's, it's going to be okay, it's going to be alright. Uh, last week we had someone that came to our church that's very new to church, didn't grow up in church, not used to being a part of the church, and we asked them, like, how'd it go? Because it's one of those conversations that's kind of... Kind of rough, and and one of the one of the people asked, you know, how was it? And they're like, wasn't that bad? Wasn't that bad? It's going to be okay. Uh, but for us last week, we talked about this idea that you cannot serve two masters. You can serve God or money, but you can't serve both. And really looking at our lives and asking, what is it that I'm actually filtering my life through? Is it through the kingdom? Or is it through a lot of other things? And learning to then make the the adjustment or the question of, like, am I willing to, like, assess my budget? Am I willing to assess my life and ask the question, is Jesus first in it? And so for some of you, I encourage you and challenge you that if you're married, like... Would you be willing to sit down and begin the process of coming together on a budget? Some people live on a budget. Some people don't. If you haven't, would you be willing to come together and start a budget and have that conversation? And here's what I'm guessing was the result of that conversation. Lots of different results. One of the results was you just didn't actually even have that conversation. You're like, I'm not doing that. Some of you guys didn't do it. And that's okay. We're going to keep talking about it today. So it's all good. We'll keep talking about it. For some of you, like, you, you did it and it went better than you thought. Like, man, we didn't fight. Normally when we talk about budget, talk about money, it's a big fight, it's a big brouhaha, and it wasn't, it was good. And maybe it's because you learned that you're the nerd and you should take the lead on the finance. Maybe for some of you, you found out you're the spender, the free spirit, and you've decided, you know what? I need to not control this too much, even though you want to keep spending money. I'm going to learn how to say no. I'm not going to buy that new rifle, that new truck, that new... I don't know what girls buy. I just tell you what guys buy, like <laughs> these things, right? Like a new guitar, whatever, whatever. new purse. Okay, that works too. Yeah, um, whatever it is, but it went well. For some of you, it went okay. For some of you, it was, it was a challenge, just like it's been a challenge. For some of you, it was like, no, it was the same exact like, blow up as before, Um, And we told those of you that are single, we encourage you to still build a budget. And would you be willing to invite someone into the process of speaking into your budget and helping you hold you accountable? And let me tell you something that's really cool that happened last week. When we talked about that, there was a list of people that emailed us or reached out to us in the lobby and said, listen, this is an area where I've grown in And I just feel like God's called me to minister to other people in this area of my life. And so if anybody wants help, like I'm willing to help, and walk beside them. There were other people that came up to me and said, my finances are a wreck and I need help. I just wanna think about that for a second, you guys. That there are people that are saying, I wanna help other people. And there's people that are saying, I need help. And I don't know about you, that's pretty stinking cool when it comes to the subject of finances, that's a really touchy subject. Would you guys agree? That's pretty stinking cool. And honestly, that's the church. That's what we're supposed to be as a people, where we walk as disciples of Jesus and where we learn to be more obedient to what he's calling us to. And there's a process of growth and transformation that takes place and we're all in it together. That's what we're called to do. Now, one of the things I wanna encourage you, if you jumped into it uh, with, with your spouse and it didn't go well, um, here's what I wanna challenge you on. Would you continue to have the conversation? Don't quit. There's something that we say a lot here at Life Ministries that God loves triers. And all the English people are like, that's not a word, Justin. Triers is not a word. And I go, yeah, I know it's not a word, but it it works. God loves triers. Would you be willing to keep being honest? About what you feel like God's calling you to do when it comes to your finances. Would you be willing to continue to be transparent and vulnerable? And here's the thing: when we're transparent and vulnerable into these areas that are difficult, it triggers our spouse. And those triggers we then react out of those things often. And I want to encourage you, keep leading, leaning into a real relationship. Because if you're willing to keep doing that, Jesus is going to begin the work of transforming you, and it's not going to be a simple process most of the time. But it is a transformative process. And so when it comes to your finances, we're going to continue the conversation this morning, but I want you to think of it from that perspective. Continue to be honest and transparent with with the Lord, with yourself, being honest with yourself, being honest with, if you're married, your spouse. But Jesus continues in the conversation in Matthew chapter 6, that we just read, and the context is exactly what he just said. He just said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. One is going to be Lord. One is going to be first. So then he goes on to say, therefore, in verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not, what's that next word say? Do not what? Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, or reap, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any, of, any one of you by, what's to say? Any by what? Worrying. Add a single hour, hour to your life. And why do you? Some of you are like, I get it. Worry. Can you add even a single hour by worrying? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They're not labor or Spaniel. I tell you, not even Solomon, all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and is tomorrow thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I don't think we can really, we don't have to work that hard to make a case that we live in a society that's overwhelmed with worry and anxiety. Would you agree? Just to give you an idea, New York Times reports 2015 upwards of 20% of our population actually struggles and has an anxiety disorder. So if there's 100 people in this room, 20 of you are saying, I've got I've to struggle with anxiety. I struggle with worry. Not only, not only that, but $2 billion is spent on anxiety medication every single year. In 2002, the World Mental Health Survey, listen to this, Found that Americans were the most anxious people in the 14 countries they studied, with more clinically significant levels of anxiety than people in Nigeria, Lebanon, and Ukraine. We are the richest country in the world, yet we are the most anxious. We have more blessings than anywhere else, yet we are more anxious. And you might say, well, Treasure Valley, like, it's like one of the best places to live. No anxiety here? That's not true. Have you driven down Eagle Road on any day? (laughs) My kids love uh, Dude Perfect, so we always like to watch the stereotype, and there's always the one person in every single stereotype. You know what that one person is? I heard it. Rage Rage monster. Every single one, right? Go down Eagle Road, rage monster. You'll find that guy. Meridian Road. I I live in Kuna. Between Meridian and Kuna, rage monster. Guy is angry, just driving crazy. You might be saying, well, what does that have to do with anxiety? I'm going to argue that anger is just the surface emotion. Are you with me? You ever heard of the iceberg principle? Anger is the surface emotion. Underneath anger, oftentimes it's fear, worry, anxiousness or just selfishness too. Well, if you begin to think of anger from that perspective, you begin to go, "Yeah, I'm actually afraid. That's why I'm angry. Or I'm actually worried. That's why I'm angry. That's why I'm anxious. That's why I'm angry." And it's everywhere. Everywhere we go, every single day, there are people running around fearful, worried, anxious. I find myself living in it. Uh, just not yesterday, but last week, it was French toast and ice cream day. Do you know that that was a day? French toast and ice cream day. So you know what Reed's Dairy did? Reed's Dairy had the day, Saturday, where they opened up early and served French toast and ice cream for $3 a person. I was like, I gotta take my kids to that, right? Worst decision of my life, going to that. <laughs> we even went like fairly early. I'm like, ah, I won't be busy. no place is completely packed we get in line and as i'm getting in line and i'm not eating ice cream and, and french toast but my kids are and as they're deciding i begin to look around do you think there's any empty tables so i'm thinking in my head all right so we're going to get to the end of the line we're going to pay and i'm going to have three kids a six-year-old a nine-year-old 11 year old holding french toast ice cream and syrup how well is this going to go But as we were moving through the line, I saw someone leave. Empty table. So I'm like, oh, we're good. We're golden. We're fine. Empty table. I go to pay. I turn around. Someone went and took the table and then sent the rest of the family into the line, the back of the line. And I'm like, you can't do that. We've got our three kids right here that are standing, wanting to eat their ice cream and French toast. And I, rage monster, started inside of me. The Justice Justin started coming out of me. I'm staring the guy down. Like, seriously, bro? Do you, see the, do you see what I got going on here? And I'm like, all right, I gotta calm down. My wife, she starts getting anxious too. So her method is she starts to hover over the table that's pretty much done, but not leaving. You ever done that? Hover. Do you see my children here? We need your table. I told Natalie, I said, get over here, get over here. We're not gonna hover We're not going to live with anger, anxiousness, fear. My kids are going to melt down at any second. How can I calm down and relax, right? And eventually, they got up. Somebody got up, left, and we got a table. But if we are living, me and Natalie, with anxiousness, fear, worry. What about the table? What about the table? What are we going to do? Our kids are going to freak out. If we respond that way in regards to French toast and ice cream at Reed's Dairy. How much more on something significant like money? Where we worry and we fear and we have anxiousness. And Jesus is calling it out and asking the question, what drives you? What drives you? Have you noticed about Jesus? That Jesus... Never leads himself or lives in a state of anxiousness that we can see through the gospels. You never see Jesus telling the disciples, Hurry up. In fact, we just sang a song, It Is Well with My Soul, and we talked about storm raging on, and even in the midst of the storm, singing, It's Well. And there's a story in the gospel where Jesus is like, let's get in a boat and head to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And a storm comes up and the disciples are freaking out and they tell Jesus, Jesus, don't you care about us? And what's Jesus doing on the boat? Taking a nap. Samaria. We don't go into Samaria. Samaria is like a horrible place. Like we shouldn't go there. Those people are terrible. Living in fear about what's happened in the past and where they're at now we don't go to Samaria Jesus is like let's go to Samaria Jesus is about ready to go to the cross he knows that he's going to be killed and he goes to a quiet place and he says to his disciples will you come with me and just pray with me Jesus never lived with anxiousness why here's the reason why Jesus lived without anxiousness because he lived each day living in the present reality of God's kingdom and his Father's goodness. The world says be anxious. The world says be afraid. The world is constantly trying to get you to live in fear so they can actually make money off of you and to prioritize your life about this thing. And Jesus is like, no, seek first my kingdom. And if you're willing to do that, don't worry. And Jesus understood that his father was good. He understood that it's his kingdom that he was fighting for and living for and never walked around in fear because he lived in the present reality of today. What has God given me today? Not worrying about tomorrow, today. And can I continue to live that way and call others people that? You might be saying, well, doesn't your bills matter? Doesn't your clothes matter? Does God just want me to just like walk around with ragged clothes? Does feeding my family matter? Of course it all matters. Of course it matters. Do not worry does not mean do not care. No, we we need to care about those things. Paul put it this way. He says in 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, paying bills, clothes, food, those things, if you don't provide for your relatives, and especially of their own household, has denied the faith and is, and is worse than an unbeliever. What's he saying? If you, if you aren't willing to work hard, represent me well, take care of the things that you need to take care of in order to function as a human being in society, you're not showing the world what I'm like. And so do these things matter? Absolutely they matter. The question we got to ask ourselves is do we do these things? Do we provide for our family? Do we, do we pay our bills? Do we work? Do we get food? Do we live in the constant state of fear and anxiousness and anxiety and worry as we go and execute those things from day to day? Or do we do it out of, out of peace or worry? Are we good with whatever the result is that God actually provides for us in the midst of us working hard and take care of the things that we need to take care of in life? What is it that is actually driving us? And what Jesus says is what the world says is that the pagans run after all these things. They run after all the stuff of how the world operates. They run after these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself And each day has enough trouble of its own If you were a follower of Jesus this morning You were called to make Jesus and his kingdom first And he is what drives you He is what motivates you Not anxiousness You can be driven and motivated by Jesus Not anxious because he is good Do you trust that? Yes, I trust that Yes, I trust that Yes, I trust that does every aspect of your life, your head, your heart, your actions, align to that reality? That God is good. That he'll take care of me. Last I saw, the fruit of the Spirit, the evidence that I'm walking with Jesus, anxiousness doesn't show up in the fruit of the Spirit. Worry doesn't show up in the fruit of the Spirit. And so we gotta look at our lives and ask the question, What? what is it that I need to change? Do I need to... Growing? Do I need to walk in? What is it that motivates me? What is it that drives me? Is it Jesus in his kingdom seeking him first, or is it these other things? I don't know about you, but I can actually, over time, I'm beginning to learn when anxiousness is like popping up. Can you feel it when you're living anxiously? Some of you are nodding your head, yes. I'd love to hear. It. How do you how can you tell you're living anxiously? How do you feel? physically how do you feel it if you wouldn't mind being honest and vulnerable this morning how do you feel it anybody you feel irritated so I'm just oh, I'm just irritated right what else edgy your teeth hurt because you're clenching them for me like I can feel the heart rate boom 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 boom, boom. I have a heaviness in my chest and I'm like man right and so for us the reality is is our bodies (laughs) the clench the tightness the heaviness what does this mean for our finances seek first you cannot have two masters you tighten up Fear and worry. When you begin to realize that God wants something for you, not from you, when it comes to your finances, you begin to not allow fear and anxious worry to drive you, and all of a sudden you start to relax. And your hands begin to come open. And you begin to realize, God said he'll take care of me. Am I willing to trust him? Am I willing to then say, all right, Lord, my hands are open with what you've given me. I'm called to steward what you've given me and my hands are open. I'm not gonna put my, my faith and trust in these other things, whatever they are, but I'm gonna put my faith and trust in you. So my hands are gonna be open Anxiousness tells us to clench our finances and our resources. The kingdom tells us to open our finances, open our resources. The antidote to idol worship, which we talked about last week. You cannot serve two masters. It's an idol. The antidote to idol worship and to anxiousness, now that Jesus is talking about anxiousness, the antidote to that is, is to get back to God. What is God's? The Bible calls that tithing. A couple of passages for you to think through. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. It's the only time that God says, test me. Try me, he says. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be Not room enough to store it. Matthew 23, 23. Woe to you, Jesus says. He goes after the Pharisees, seven woes. And this is one of the woes. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. What's he saying? You're good at tithing. You're good at doing what I've asked you to do but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. What's he saying is, you tithe, you write your check, you give, but you don't love, you don't seek justice, you don't seek mercy. And so if we live, walk around and, and all we hear is like, as long as I give, I'm good. No, if you don't love your neighbor, Jesus doesn't care about what you give. Well, I'm just gonna love my neighbor, but I'm not gonna give. Jesus says, no, you need to give too. It's not one or the other. It's holistic. Every single part of you needs to be surrendered to me. And the things that you hold on to closely and tightest, Jesus is like, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Would you be willing to give that up and make me Lord over everything, all that you have, Now, if you're new, this is the first time you've heard this. You've been a part of real life for a while. You already know this story, so just bear with me. It's a fun story. I am a pie person, not a cake person. Anybody? You are the pie. You are my people. If you like cake, we can talk about how pie is greater at another time. We're not going to have that debate today. But um, I'm a pie person, and so every single Thanksgiving we have pie. And some people eat pumpkin pie. You don't eat pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. You eat apple pie on Thanksgiving. Okay? So, stepping on all the toes this morning. All right? Apple pie? Okay. All right. Apple pie. But here's the thing when it comes to pie, there's only one slice of pie that I want on Thanksgiving. Do you want a slice of pie that is? The first slice. The first slice is the best slice. Why is the first slice the best slice? Because after the first slice, when it comes to pie, what happens to all the inside? It goes everywhere. But the first slice is the best slice For all the people who get the second, the third, the fourth slice I mean, you're scraping off the bottom And then you're looking around going Can I do that? Can I scrape all this? Because like, I know the next person, the last piece of pie Like there's hardly anything left in the middle, right? And people that love the crust are like That's okay, I just like the crust No, you gotta have both, right? So my family blesses me every single Thanksgiving By letting me have the first slice of pie And I'm thankful for that Because they'd all get kicked out of Thanksgiving dinner If they didn't give me The first slice of pie Right? But the first slice is the best It's the first fruits God deserves the first slice It's his The budget is built With us thinking What do I do To make God first And he gets the first The first slice The first cut It's his It's the antidote to us saying, I'm not going to let money dictate my life, the fear and worry of it. I'm going to say, God, it's yours. I'm going to trust you with it. I'm going to trust you with everything I've got. Dave Ramsey puts it this way, giving your money will help you learn to trust that living this life, God's way, with 90% of your money is greater than living your way with 100% of your money. What would it look like for you to start the conversation with your family and say, All right, how do we make Jesus first? Now, there's some of you, this doesn't happen very often, but there's some of you that are in financial ruin. You are in insurmountable debt. Like you're talking about bankruptcy, potentially. And there are times I've sat down with people and I've said, You know what? If you tithe, you're going to be in even bigger trouble right now. And there are times where you may not do that. You may go, I I can't do that. Here's my worrying concern as you hear that. There's some of you that will go, oh yeah, we're in that place right now. As a justification as to why you won't give. When in all reality, you go to Starbucks every single day day at five, six, seven dollars a pop God has to look He's going to look at your heart would you be willing to look at your own and see if your actions align to what He's calling us to God wants something for you not from you He wants your heart do you give God your leftovers or your first I want you to think about this question as we wrap up today. What are you committed to and what are you committed to do with your budget to reflect that Jesus is first? And what would happen if you wrote down that question, you took your sermon notes, you put it somewhere this week and you looked at it every single day and you went to your spouse or if you're single, you went to your accountability partner and you said, I want to live this out. I want to wrestle with this question. What would happen? What would happen? Jesus says, Jesus says, Blessings coming. Does that mean I'm going to get rich? We're going to talk about health and wealth gospel next week. You're going to have blessing. Would you be willing to trust him? So a couple of things as we wrap up take home. Would you be willing to surrender all of yourself to Jesus and not allow worry to dictate how you lead yourself and your family? Start with a budget. Is Jesus and his kingdom prioritizing your budget? Allocate from the beginning a gift to Jesus and his kingdom from every paycheck. And for some, it means beginning to start tithing. Save and live off the rest. And that's what we're gonna tackle next week is what does it mean to save? Because there are certain passages where Jesus is like, you shouldn't save and build bigger barns. Can't take it with you. There's other passages that say, save and you're blessed if you save. So which one is it? next week we'll start talking about what is godly saving look like for some of you this morning even in the midst of this conversation that's been mainly talking about finances here's the thing if you're not a christian your first step is to make jesus lord to make jesus lord to the surrender that What he has to say is good and that you're going to actually try and follow it to the best of your ability, knowing you're not going to be perfect, because none of us are. But you're going to live under the grace and goodness of God's love in your life. As we were getting ready this morning, one of the worship team members came up to me and asked me this question because I was taking the cover off the baptistry. He said, are we having a baptism today? Because we've been having people get baptized. I go, no, we're not gonna have a baptism today. I'm just taking the cover off because I want every single person that comes through our doors to see that water and to see that baptistry and believe and understand, man, maybe, maybe I'm supposed to get in there. Maybe I'm supposed to take that next step. And that we would live as a church expecting and praying and hoping for that every single Sunday. Even if you're not planning on it. That when you're ready to get in the water, when Jesus says, it's time to trust me, it's time to follow me, it's time to surrender to me, that you'd raise your hand and say, I want to follow and trust Jesus and I'm going to get in the water. I'm going to believe, confess, repent, and I'm going to get baptized. And guess what? We've had people do that here in real life. And So for all of us, we seek seeking first the kingdom and if you've never made Jesus Lord he's calling he's knocking and he's saying trust me with all that I've given you trust me so as we get ready for communion this morning I want you to just pray about two things number one what does it look like for you to enter in at a deeper level deeper commitment to Jesus with your finances and number two Is there people that you know, that you're praying for, that you love, that you wish they would come to a life-saving knowledge of who Jesus is? Would you pray for them? Would you pray for them? And maybe that means you. Maybe that means you surrendering to Jesus this morning. Let's get ready to go to the table and spend some time praying with Jesus.